0: You're listening to audio from Plank Harvest Church, located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. We have a lot
1: to cover this morning, so I will go as quickly as possible without, uh, maybe we'll pass over one thing here in this. But uh, one thing about Renee, and I, I, I wanted Jed to, to tell you about our trip there a little bit before we, um, um, but he, so I talked to him right as church was preparing to start. And he said, so, so he was supposed to fly to, uh, I just showed you the goodness of God, his sovereign control that we miss a lot of times. So he was supposed to fly and go to, uh, uh, he was supposed to go to Richmond, Virginia, about a two and a half hour drive or something. So they went and had their, their day with their son on Friday and then Saturday's supposed to fly. So, so it's two in the afternoon. They're supposed to fly Saturday and get back home to California. So, you know, son Frank says, "Well, let's, let's get ready right to go At the airport. You know, a couple-hour drive or whatever to Richmond, from where they, where they are. They live where? Uh, uh, what was the town? Lynchburg. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, so, so two hours to where the airport was. At two o'clock, they look on the thing, and flight's been canceled. And he's like, come oh, Because he really wants to be with family. His heart is breaking. He wants to be at home. You know, no place like home when you're something like that, you know. So he goes back home, and Irene gets on the computer. DVD. They find a flight out of Lynchburg, a couple hundred dollars less. They get to fly first class, direct flight, where they're trying to go. So God is good, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's what the word says. We've got to remember that. Because a lot of times when we see doors closed or see things happen, we forget that God is good and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And uh, we try to we try to do so much in our own strength. And uh, one thing about one thing Renee kept saying, he said it with a tear in his eye and he said it with joy in his heart, both both ways. He said God has been so good to me. And I think the testimony to me uh, in my life is God has been so good to me. I was telling I was telling Jed. Maybe I've said this before from a pulpit, but. Of the 39 guys I went to infantry school with, 39 went to this one unit. Me and four others got out alive. Out of 39 guys my age, because of one thing or another, killed in helicopter crashes, killed by, I got run over by an Amtrak, I fell out of the helicopter. Just one thing after 39, 34 died, but not daily. I don't know why. That's been really good to me. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. And there's a ministry of the gospel is to go forth from you because you're still alive. Because God has been really good to you, too. And you need to put your finger on that. You need to praise God and tell him how good he is to you. While you still breathing in your lungs. And uh, Renee did that. Uh, this Russia-Ukraine thing, a lot of people have asked me about it. I'm going to give you the quick and dirty. Here's how we know that this is ordained by God. Because I can go to Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's where you'll find God may Magog. And you'll see in there one guy's name is Rosh, where we get the word Russia. You'll see another name in there it starts with an M, very close to Moscow. That's where we get that word for Moscow. It's rooted way back here in the Hebrew word into a Greek word into what's Moscow now. So God can make obviously out of the Bible. So it's in the Old Testament, it's in Ezekiel. Go up a thousand years and get to Jesus. You'll see it in Matthew 24. You'll see it in Luke, uh, let's see, Luke uh, about 21. And you'll see it in Revelation chapter 20. Russia has a huge part to play in the end time. And Jesus in Matthew and in Luke says both times, when you see these things, look up. And I would like to point out that the Ukrainian people are doing exactly what the Bible says for them to do. It says, don't stay in the cities, run to the country. And another thing you should see is the proper response to invasion is you arm your people and they defend the homeland. And they're doing a great job of that. And I don't know what the ultimate result is, what part of America plays, or whatever, but I'm telling you, the direction of God is on Putin. The direction of the evil one is on Putin. God's working somehow. He lifts up kings and he puts kings down. Somehow God is working through this man to attack them, to do some, something, is being orchestrated by God, by the evil one, both and the sovereign control of God over the whole thing. Never fear. Never fear. Here in the United States of America, with our problems and our issues and corruption and all (coughs) of that, God is working in people. Azerbaijan, 40 people to 10,000. We get despairing that we're not seeing people brought to Christ. We're not seeing people saved. We're 40 to 10,000 in how many years? 20 years? 30 years? That's a lot of people. The kingdom of God works. It continues to work. Whether you're doing your part or not, God's going to make his way. It's going to happen. Pastor Lee has been here for a couple weeks. This is why I know that every one of you has an individual ministry to tell others the gospel of (laughs) Jesus Christ. Since he's been here, he's led at least five to seven people to Christ. And he started a Bible study with them. He's been here two weeks. You live here. You, Dale, and the rest of you live here. What are you doing? Tell them the gospel. There's lost people all around. They're good people. One of them was Marlene's sister. She's a good lady. Hard-hearted man. Good lady. Elvira. And he sat down and he went on the gospel with her. And she got harder and harder. And then she realized that she was a sinner. And she was lost and separated from God. And she broke. Because he took the time to sit down with her and give her the gospel. Over And over until it sticks. Forty people to ten thousand. There's success in the witness of believers to unbelievers. There's success in that. God's sovereign hand is on. He's on you. If you are a believer in Christ, you've been called the the disciples, You've been called to make disciples, and you can't do it going to work and keeping your mouth shut and trying to be this little humble. You know they'll see my life and they'll see that I'm saved. That's not how it works you got to speak the word, the word of truth, and that's what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians. We've got to go back to that. Um, I know some of the things that were said last week were offensive to you. If you don't believe the, the coon in the hen house, did you see the guy walk in the front door and sit down right here and then get back up and leave? Are you a fragile being? Yes. Well, I don't know that guy. I don't know who that guy was. Everybody's like, you know what? I don't know that guy. People come and just because they come here don't I mean nothing for them. I mean, some next that come here, yeah, I brought him. Sorry, sorry about the guy that started yelling at Jed that day. Sorry about that guy. But Notice I didn't bring him back. Sorry about the guy that was the, the crazy guy that was talking to the ladies with the babies up here. Sorry about that guy. I didn't bring him back. If they're too crazy, I'll let them stay at the wherever. But I bring that guy. Be aware. Be alert. Watching. Watch and pray. Keep your eyes open when you pray. Watch and see the goodness of God and his work in you. Watch and pray. But pray. Act. Do. Work. (coughs) The entire book of 1 Corinthians, I'm convinced, 1 and 2 Corinthians both, are this picture of what what breaks a church. But at the same time, I can show you all the stuff that, you know, Jimmy can show you better than I can. I used to mechanic on stuff. I'm old, infirm, can't see, can't feel, can't smell, whatever. But, But I used to work on vehicles growing up. Because I, mean, I had old junky cars, and it was the only way you were making it to school or wherever you was going. But it, you got to know what can break a vehicle, so you're careful to avoid those. You run your car out of oil, you ain't going far. You're, you You don't change the fuel filter, you're not going far. You know, you don't put oil in the rear end, you don't go far. You don't keep the bearing lubricated, you're not going far. All these things, you got to know what breaks it so that you know what to maintain so that it goes forward. You've got to put antifreeze in the car to keep it running, in Texas especially, hot down there. So all these things that we see in 1 Corinthians are very important because they show us what breaks a church, what breaks the body. But it also shows us what is the church supposed to be doing. And by the church, I'm not talking, I mean, I am talking about the building, but I'm talking about you, the body the body of Christ, my, my cousin was telling me about, so his wife left him, they were married 30 years, he called him yesterday, she left him 30 years of marriage, she's had some mental problems in the past, whatever and so he calls me yesterday he goes, man, we, this, this happened in October, or I don't know, maybe mid-year last year and so she called him yesterday and said, hey, I got married I mean, what do you tell that person, but what I'm telling you is there's brokenness all around us But that's outside of the body. This is the body of Christ right here. And he said, I've never seen, Renee told us the same thing. I've never seen, I've never understood what it meant to be a part of the body of Christ and the encouragement that comes from people that come to you when you're crippled, lame, and crazy. Right? You come in with this brokenness and then the people come to you and they encourage you. We saw that in 2 Corinthians right there at the beginning. You go through these things and I provide comfort to you because I went through these things, and I know what it's like to go through it. Therefore, I can comfort you when you go through the same thing. My cousin Lane could have never talked to someone about the pain and the trials of divorce and infidelity and things like that. He could have never talked to him. He could have talked to him. He might have known about it, but he didn't know it. But he knows it now, and he's got a witness that's different now. Renee can't talk to somebody about death. Elias can't. Well, I mean, I have, and I'm telling you, I've felt completely helpless with a lot of people that are walking through this death thing, it's not just you and the people you know, or, or you know, uh, uh, Loretta and the things that have happened around her, or Jenny Dalton, the things that are happening around her, or Renee, and the things that are happening around him, or Elias and his wife passed. I can watch it from the side, but by God's grace, I haven't had to experience it yet. But I'm telling, you want to know what it's like to walk through death? Talk to Elias he'll tell you all about it. He's got a different word now than he had before his wife passed away. He's just got a different view on it. But he can provide. I've seen him do it. I've seen him provide consolation to Renee, to Bob Coy, and to others. I've seen him provide a different consolation now than he did before his wife passed away. He didn't know before, but he knows now. And I pray to God that you don't have to lose a spouse or a child or a close whatever before you can come to this understanding. You can listen to what this person said. They already walked through it. So they have the consolation that they can give to you that you can pass on to someone else when they go through it. It's hard to stand there and watch a grown man cry over his wife or a grown woman either. You cry over their spouse and you're completely helpless. What do you say? But it says right there in 2 Corinthians, provide them the consolation that I provided to you. Bring them back to the word. Pray for them. Love them. You know, anoint them with oil. Elias was telling them, this is kind of funny, but he went to some guy's house that was was dying and there was no hope, you know. And that guy had gone and got a bottle of olive oil. And uh, Elias was going to like, just do like we do, you know, put it on. He's like, oh man, poor, he's, I just, (laughs) the whole bottle, the guy was like wiping it off his face. And he's like, man, if you're going to anoint me, throw it to me, man. I mean, this is anoint me, you know. I don't want to be sprinkled, I want to be immersed. And he poured the whole bottle on the guy. He said it was a mess. But the guy's like, oh man, thank God for anointing me. But you can't, you can't know until you went through it. So, with this 1 Corinthians saying, this warning that he gives the churches, all the potential issues that could cause disruption in the body, all the things that flare up in the church, they all originate with you. Or a couple. It can originate in a couple, you know, marriage problems and things like that. But they all originate. All problems in the fellowship originate with you and me. The old sin nature. The natural part of man that's a selfish, egotistical, arrogant, prideful, filthy, wretched sinner. That's where the problem comes in the fellowship. We have to be very careful then how we handle one another, another wretched, filthy, awful, disgusting sinner within the fellowship. You're as filthy and wretched as they are. So be careful with the finger pointing in the words. Like we've seen in our I Want to Be a Church Member book, that illness of a single person can cause an illness in the body as a whole. The health of a single person, the victory of a single person, can cause rejoicing in the body as a whole. And it just shows you how connected we are. And I don't think we're able to see that connection until something really bad happens and then all those people came around. You know, the, I had to drop a tree on myself back in the day, And uh, Pete Tranksy were the first people. They just showed up at the house. Oh man, we heard you drop a tree on. They had to come. I mean, I thought I was over there just, laying there in my sorrow and pain the first people that came they came over there man what can we pray or whatever what do we do your leg is funny looking you know but they were the first people. you know whatever it's what we do it's when we see the sorrow of someone we go to that person and we encourage that person and all of a sudden that person who's in the loneliness and the despair and the sorrow they realize, they realize they're not walking through it alone. The body of Christ as a whole is in pain because of this one person being in pain. And so they come to that person, surround that person, and lift that person up. And I think that's really important to look to look at. And we're going we're to gonna kind of dig deeper in this first Corinthians. I got a phone call this week about something I said last week, and that, that's fine. You can have, just be real careful when you're, When you're looking at God's word or you're hearing God's word, make sure that you're reading the word, the word, and applying the word properly and not your emotions. What I feel is different than what is true. And so just be careful there. I heard a pastor say, poor Timothy, everywhere he went, he had to bring two donkeys filled with commentaries in case Paul wrote him another letter, you know, so he knew what the letter was saying, right? Right. And the reality is we can read the Bible for exactly what it says. It has an exact meaning, but there is deeper and other and Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all these other things going on. But we can always read it for its surface value, and the surface value is great. Go there first on the surface value, and you'll, and you'll do well. So, like I said, last week some people were offended by what I said. When I'm trying to be offensive. I don't particularly want, there's some things that we don't like to really go at. And I don't think we've ever gone after, you know, like, as far as just going after, a, like, say, a homosexual person or transgender person and just demean them or we sh- or anything. We don't, we don't do that here. And I was asking Jen I mean, it's been a long time since we ever mentioned it. It just happens to be next in order of what we're talking about here. But all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly furnished, like a new clean house brand new furniture ready to go in there so that he can operate out of that system it's all there this part that can be very painful goes with these other parts that aren't as painful but it's all true there's no part of it that's less true or less important or more important it's all important it's all true but the problem with us as people is that we know people that have these flaws this Maybe it's the homosexual lifestyle or something. We're related to them or we know them or we're friendly with them. And we like them as people. And so we look at them and we say, well, you know, maybe for these you know, these these guys that are just real militant and, you know, namletized, forcing children to do things with them and things like that. And we're like, well, maybe God would discipline them. But this guy, I mean, God really knew this guy. I mean, what kind of nice? He's a nice man. You can be a nice man. And be lost you can be a nice person and be dead in your trespasses and sin in fact there's many nice people that have no place in their spirit for god because they think they're good enough so you can be nice and be a homosexual and be lost but that doesn't mean that you're judging them in that for you to be truly loving to them you would give them the gospel so we got to be careful in this postmodern, post-truth era where everything, and I hear my sister say that, she's at, she's at a school in Austin that's very, very liberal, it's very oppressive to her. And she goes, well, that was that lady's truth. It's either truth or it's not truth. There's only truth. It's not your truth and my truth, it's one truth. Your word is truth, it's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets access to the Father except through the truth and the way and the life that is Christ. Amen. I'm it, and it's hard for us to put our minds because our culture tells us something completely different. Jed put his catechism thing up there. The the world is telling you that that these this homosexual agenda or transgender thing or whatever that that it has equal validity with what the Bible says is one man and one woman in marriage, always. Because it produces offspring that can be led to the father. That's God's design. It was his design from Genesis 1, 2, 3. And a man would leave his father and mother that he would cling to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. They would take dominion. The wife would, would uh, honor the husband. The husband would care for the wife. So in this post-modern post-truth era, and this truth is whatever, it's caused a weakness in the body of Christ because we're influenced by things outside the fellowship because we look at those things and we and so I watch so why I drew these pictures up here. I'm gonna go over these pictures real quick. But will you'll see these pictures, young people, you're gonna see these pictures in school, college, somewhere. You're gonna see these or hear something like this. So let me go over these real quick for you. And I happen to see the, the two guys here looking at the ground. I know. Looks like uh you know some five-year-old drew those, but this is what we got for today. All right, so we got two guys looking at this this number right here, right? So this guy sees the number, what does he see? This guy sees the number, what does he see? So if you look on the internet, you find the same picture, you'll see a thing and it'll say, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. So whatever religion you are, it's all about perspective. However you see God, maybe he's this or that, whatever, it's all about perspective. But the reality of the matter is I'm not going to tell you yet. Look at these guys right here. These are, remember the old uh, blind guys and elephant, you ever heard that one? So they get these four or five blind guys to describe an elephant. One guy grabs the tail and he says the elephant's like a rope, right? One guy grabs the, the trunk there or the horns there or tusks or whatever and he says it's like a a water hose or, uh, or, or you know, whatever, or an anaconda. This guy grabs a leg, says the elephant's like a tree, and this guy grabs the ear and says like a big sheet of paper. Well, they're all right. They're not all, none of them are wrong. They're all right, right? It's their perspective. It's their view. The reality is it's still an elephant. God created an elephant. The one who made the elephant says, or Adam, elephant. He walks by, right? He names it elephant, whatever he called it big, whatever he named it. And it's elephant. It's always an elephant. It don't matter what the parts are of the elephant. It's still an elephant. It doesn't matter what this guy's perspective is. The guy who wrote the six was me. The creator who made the six says it's a six. It's always a six. It doesn't matter what your perspective is. You look at a piece of art and you think, like, oh man, this means, you know, you got this crazy art piece, got the zigzag, two colors, and a crazy looking zigzag. Oh, you know what I see in there? I'll tell you what you see in there. Whatever the artist says that it is, he sees $200,000 because some idiot thinks it's deep. But all it is (laughs) is a big zigzag on a red blue piece of paper. But it's up to him to say what it is. The artist, the creator says what it is, right? And that's all it is. Dale drew a six right there. It's not about perspective, it's a six. And it's always a six. The problem is, (laughs) This guy walked up on the wrong side. He's got the wrong view. The problem is these guys are blind. But anyone who can see can see that it's an elephant. And it's not a rope or a hose or a piece of paper. And the piece of art, you can have all the opinions you want, but the only person that opinion matters is the artist. And he says, it's a picture of whatever. So So what happens is... We take God's word. Do you know that there is a, you may know this, maybe you don't, but I, this this homosexual guy wrote this article about the Bible. And the thing that he quoted in the Bible implied that Jesus was a homosexual. And I'm like, wow. So I read, and if I read it, it's like, wow, he's pretty, pretty broody there. But it was some translation that they had made. They had taken God's word and they had twisted it to make it say what they wanted it to say. If I read God's word clearly and plainly, I will see that he was a master teacher and he had following men just like a, just like Alma over here and he has students. He's a teacher and he teaches students. And that's what he was. He wasn't trying to do some kind of sexual exploits with them. He was trying to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is to them. And it doesn't matter if I try to look at it from the six and nine perspective. What Jesus said is exactly what he means. When he tells you about the coming of Gog and Magog and Rosh and whatever the other name was, he's talking about because he saw it. He's eternal. He's be- bigger than, than time. He knows knows exactly what it looks like. He knows every soldier that's gonna die in that on both sides, every decision. He already knows, it's all, it's nothing, he knows. So how can I look at his word and try to manipulate that and try to make it apply to me from the direction? That's a selfish, um, I don't know what's the word, it's arrogance. How How dare we try to place our intent, we've always tried to do that, it's because of pride. We try to question the reality of God or what he really said, but, but we got the book. The book, this book, parts of it, 4,000-plus years old, and it's the same. I mean, you can go back to older models and bring them up against some of these newer translations that are somewhat weaker, and you'll find it's the same. We've got, we got the scrolls from way back. There's Jewish guys that have been commentating on the first five books of the Bible for right at 4,000 years. I mean, it's the same. Thy word is true. We hang with the word, it's true. It doesn't change. His word does not change. God does not change. You know, neither does man. It'd be a lot easier to accept um, the one true God and Father than to just look at the six and the nine thing and do little you know, philosophical circles in your mind about which is the, which is the right number. Just accept that what he says is true. Be a Berean. Search the Scriptures diligently and see if it's true. So look at look back here. We're just going to look at a couple highlights there. of 1 Corinthians 5 through 8. We've we got to accept the Word of God and reject our flesh. And, and if I could come back to this one Scripture here that was in 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Ye is an interesting uh, word. So, if you, in a lot of translation, probably says "you" in yours, if you're not a, a of a uh, of a King James model there. But so you got "ye" and "thee." So when you see "thee," it's one, and if you see "ye," it's more than one. So such were some of all y'all, you all, yuns, as we say here in the great area of Cumberland County, yunses. Such were some of yuns, but you all were washed and you all sanctify and you all justify the name of the Lord Jesus. So the problem that uh, one, one person had is like, well how do we know what the point is that we, we quit loving a person that comes into our fellowship that has these spiritual issues, you know, a homosexual transgender person, how do we know what the point is where we allow them to stay or we make them go? How do we know what the point is? Well our, our, the word tells us, Jesus told us very clearly. He said go to the person one on one tell them what the deal is if they fail to acknowledge that, go to them with another. Two people. Two to three. Elders of the church. And talk to them about it again. If they fail to grab that and to change, then bring them before the church. Jesus. This is Jesus' model. And then we see it again in 2 Corinthians. And I don't want to go back over that. We talked about that on and I got all those notes if you want girls from 2 Corinthians. But... Men, we we are going to have pity on these people. I know why we have pity on them. Because such were some of you. Because you had the same problems. We don't want to think of, I don't want to dwell on my past. I sure don't. But but such were some of you. Such were some of me. I was these things. It was all these things. Covetous, extortioner, fornicator, idolater. And uh, a railer. A drunkard an extortioner, if I didn't cover that one yet. He says, I don't have, this is First uh, Corinthians 5, 12, for what am I to do with, to judge them that are without, if they're outside the fellowship, it doesn't matter. I can go and witness to them, I can go have dinner with them, but they can't be in the fellowship. And this was the problem they had, well, how, how are they going to hear the gospel? You're going to take the gospel to them outside the fellowship. And then they're going to find Christ. They're going to see that they're fallen and lost. If they come into the fellowship, and we have the opportunity to witness to them, and they repent, man, so much the better if you rescue one from the edge of death. But if they're at, you meet them outside the fellowship and you give them the gospel, now they come into the fellowship. They don't know. This is just a church with a funny name. Somebody asked me about the other day. I was wearing my sweater. What does that mean? I was like, man, we don't even know. No, we don't. <laughs> <Plain> <laughs> raw, yeah. But I'm saying hey, it, it draws their attention, right? What does that mean? As soon as I start talking about it, the lady turned off cold, See, like, yeah, oh, it's a church, I mean. whatever. Carry on. Just take your coffee and beat it. Um, but it says, because we were in those things in the past, but now we've been born again. So we take our born-againness, and we take it outside the fellowship, and we go witness to the lost. And when they accept Christ... We have to explain to them what it is that's sin. And we have to say, you can't live this life any longer. This is the thing about walking with Christ. You can't live this life any longer. And I remind you again about the lady in Peru, Jed reminded me this morning, who when I told her, you can, I said, what did you do for a living? And she said, well, I sell girls to these miners and whatever. I sell these underage girls to these people up and down the river. And I said, you can't do that anymore. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian would protect those girls. She goes, I don't want to be a Christian. Okay. You can't a part of our fellowship." And I push her out. No, you, can, you can't. You can't. You can't allow that person into the fellowship. Why? Because her thinking will influence the lambs in the fellowship. It doesn't work the other way. It never does. Bad character corrupts good morals. If I hang around with hooligans, I become a hooligan. It's always worked that way. That's why every parent on earth is like, why are you hanging with that person? I know that guy. I know his parents. Renette, hung out with a little girl in school, and because her grandfather and some others were a bunch of renegades, her mother told Renetta, that told his son, little boy, it was a boy, right? Yeah. The boy. He's like, you can't, Renetta, oh, you can't hang out with her. They're a bunch of hooligans, you know? You know, horse and moonshine and rednecks, you know, you can't hang out with her. Why? Because she was trying to protect the character of her kid, the boy or whatever it was. People want to hang out with Renetta now. She's she's put aside her hooligan ways. And now she's a good girl. But it says in verse 13 there, it says in 1 Corinthians 5 in verse 13, but then that are without God judging, Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He's outside you he, he chooses not to accept Christ, chooses not to walk in the way of the holy, in the way of the righteous, in the way of the pure, and the pure heart and all those things. He chooses not to walk that way. That's on the Lord. He'll take it from there. But the one that's inside the fellowship that insists in living a double life, that one must be put away from yourselves. It's hard. It's hard. This is really hard. I I dread, I've told you, I dread the day that we have to do some sort of church discipline. You want to talk about division, and that's the key word. That this... The person asked me, "Like, why would you choose one sin over another?" Because I got sin in my life. I said, "Oh, really? You can't come back to our church?" No, I didn't. There's these different sins that have more divisive properties than others. That's what you're looking for. If the sin of the person inside the fellowship is causing division, they got to go. We, We all got sin. We all got stuff that trips us up and hangs us up and causes us to worry and grats and all things. We all have those things. But does the thing that I have, am I trying to enforce my sinfulness on you, and if so, am I putting you or your kids or other weaker-minded members of the body of Christ, am I putting them in danger of moving away from the Father? We want people that come into the fellowship to draw people to the Father, draw people to one another, draw people to the body of Christ and not away from. So all these things, if you look at it, all these things are the things that are, you ever been around a drunk? Like a really drunk person? Anybody? No way, I'm the only guy. I wasn't in the Marine Corps for a long time. But, uh, so he's yelling and he's falling on people and his breath is bad. He stinks. He's probably vomiting on himself, right? That's, he's divisive, right? You're like, dude, he'll sit in the car, he'll sit on the curb, I'll be in a while to give you a ride home, right? You don't, you're not like, hey, this guy is hammered. Let's go hang out with this guy. You're like, hey, this guy is hammered. Get away, right? Because it causes a division. Or a, a reviler, a negative person constantly shooting you in the leg. You, do you want to be around that person, or you want that person to go away? Or an extortioner. Every time I get around you, you're taking me down financially. You're holding stuff over my head. Well, I, don't remember, I mean, there's a reason I don't go back to Neville, Texas, because there's, there's – you talk about extortion – mean I'll be broke. <laughs> so I'll never run for office, know that. Because when all that jazz comes out, I will never get elected. I mean, the people holding that over your head and keeping you from living freely and being free in your spirit. It says, what do I have to do with those people? I, I'm not even judging those people if they're outside the fellowship. If there's a revival or he's outside the fellowship, I don't have to worry about that guy. God's going to take care of him. God's going to work on him. It's the ones that are inside the fellowship. Do not, do you not know that your members, your bodies, are the members of Christ? I'm sorry. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. You can't, you can't do that. We can't have that touching members. <coughs> if you remember the the priesthood, and there's a scripture it just came to mind right there. But I'm gonna slaughter it right here for you. But anyway, the priest has on the robes. And essentially it talks about him going and passing these people that are in their sins. And at the end of the day, he has to get the robe off and wash the robe. And the picture of the the word picture there is, the robe does not impute righteousness. In fact, you have your white robe on because you're all clean and spiritual and whatever. Came to church on Sunday, you got your gold star and whatever. But the world touching you all the time... Is putting filth on you, not you're not imputing righteousness to them, they're putting wickedness on you. And so that's why you have to have this constant be being filled with the Holy Spirit, this constant, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and so on. It has to be an ongoing repentance, it has to be an ongoing being filled because you're constantly being assaulted by the filthiness of the world. And it's taking your, it's essentially taking your righteousness. You're you're righteous in Christ. But you understand what I'm saying? It's the filth of the world. That's why it says being washed in the Word. Washed. Just like you would take a shower after a hard day's work because you stink. You get daily washed in the Word because you're covered with the world's filth. Being daily washed in the Word. Do not you know that your members are members of Christ? I need to keep myself as pure as possible because I represent Christ. He lives in me. My temple needs to be the least defiled as possible. And when defilement comes, when things come out of my mouth, thoughts go through my mind, my hands do actions that I wish they hadn't done, my spirit is crippled by whatever happens. Then I got to get back in the Word and get washed. I got to get back in prayer. I got to get back in meditation. I got to get back in fasting, and I got to get purified so that tomorrow the the sin and the death and the destruction, the wickedness that's on me from today. I don't carry it into tomorrow. If you don't clean your house every day, girls, it gets worse by the day, right? Is it easier not to pick up the clothes here, dust a little here or there, than to wait two weeks and try and do it? And it looks like the Tasmanian devil rolled through there, especially if you got little kids. If you stay on it day by day, (coughs) it's much easier than to wait weeks and months um, to deal with that. And it's the same thing. It's the same problem. Remember Rahab in the Bible in the Old Testament, book of Joshua, right? They're going to go attack Jericho. And they come, in her name, what's her name? Anybody remember her name? Rahab the what? Harlot. Rahab the harlot. Man, that's what you want your kid to be named, right?
0: Rahab the harlot. Rahab
1: the prostitute. How's that hang on you every day? Oh, that's old Rahab the prostitute there. Rahab the harlot. Good seeing huh? So anyway, she's, gonna, she's got her place in there. She rescues the Israelites, right? And so in turn, they rescue her. Right? And they take her with them. Is Rahab the prostitute allowed to remain Rahab the prostitute amongst the people of Israel? No. Though they cared for her, though she rescued them, and they rescued her in return. Now, she's in the body of Israel, of Christ, okay? you got to change, baby. Those days are over. prostitute day is over. You're going to be one of us, because it says in our fellowship that if you're in prostitution, you're going to be taken outside the camp and stoned. So we love you, and we care about you, and we're grateful for it. But if you continue down that road, this is the ultimate result, is this stoning, right? And so what happens? She repents, and she becomes as the rest of the body. And that's the picture. That's the picture for us in the New Testament. The person is in sin. They come into the fellowship. You talk to them about their sin. They repent. Man them all. If they refuse to repent, then they have to be outside the fellowship. We can still make contact with them in the world as a lost person and encourage them in faith and in the gospel. We can still help them financially. They're in a bad spot. We can still do all those things if they're a widow or orphan or whatever. We can still do all those things, but they cannot be in the body because they will influence the body in the way that they think rather than in the way God's word tells us to think. It's a hard thing to say. Churches have weakened themselves by making whole ministries to these people, allowing them inside the fellowship, allowing them influence in ministry and so on. And before long, they're pastors and teachers, and they're teaching a false doctrine. Um, go to the book of Jude. This is short book. 2 John and Jude. We'll read Jude. Right before Revelation. So Jude, you know, Peter, Peter tells us that the heretics are coming, that the, <laughs> the apostates are coming, that they're going to influence, whatever. And in Jude, they're there. And uh, uh 2 John, they're, they they've arrived. They're there. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, verse 2, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you, Of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you and encourage you loudly that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints amongst the body inside. Fight for it. Hang on to it. For there are certain men, crept in unaware, sneaky devils, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What's lasciviousness? Sexual immorality. These men came from outside the fellowship, and they tried to introduce sexual immorality and worldly living into the fellowship, in order that they felt more comfortable within the fellowship. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this: how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believeth not. Who did He? Who did the Lord destroy? He destroyed those of the Israelite nation who refused to follow Him wholly with all that they were. He destroyed them. They can't be of him. Baal worshipers have no part in the kingdom of heaven. You see those people, and I believe that some of those that came out of Egypt are in the kingdom of heaven, yes. But I'm telling you that those that insisted on worshiping Baal until the end, even though God just, you know, cared for them in the wilderness and, and eventually killed them in the wilderness, if they chose Baal over the most high God, though they were amongst other people of God, God put them into the fiery pit for eternity. It can't be. You can't have oil and water and then not separate. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, sorry. I'm going to skip on down here. So, Sodom and More, given over to fornication with strange flesh. Verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel contend, contending, verse 12. Uh, we'll start with Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and they ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. There's your extortioners and your greedy revilers. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. That's the guy that tried to pull a fast move and, and divide the Israelites, and, and the ground opened up and swallowed him up in front of Moses. These are spots in your love feasts, and your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds, trees, whose fruit withered, and without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Twice dead, spiritually and physically dead. Their game is for themselves. They come here with the intent, whether you believe it or not, they come here, if you're without Christ, you are a goat among sheep, and your goal is to satisfy the spiritual thing that you need amongst God's people. And rather than bow the knee to Christ, you will will try to pursue your own desires and your own wants and your own lusts rather than bow the knee to Christ. Got to be careful with that guy. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch. Ungodly committed deeds. Hard speeches, ungodly sinners. These are murmurers, verse 16, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They wanted to see this guy or that guy. He had more charisma. I know there's more charismatic people than me or Jed or whoever. And so the guy comes in, he's got a lot of pizzazz, and he's a good speaker, and he's a real handsome fellow, and, and whatever. And you're like, man, I can see myself following this guy. Be careful. Make sure he's speaking the word. Make sure he's telling the truth. Beloved, remember. Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time they should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These would be who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Look here, two things. thing one, beloved verse 17. remember, remember the words that Jesus spoke. what did he tell us to do? If you don't okay, go make disciples of all nations teaching them, baptizing them. but how do I know what to what am I supposed to know? that Jesus taught. What do I got to know? Well, it's it's pretty I'd say if I had to break it down the most simplest thing I'd go there to Matthew 4 through Matthew 8. <coughs> the Beatitudes and the Similitudes. That's kind of the primary new Christian walk for anyone, right? And in all those parables they all have influence on them, but for just to know what it's like to be a disciple go there and begin there. Now, these other things we need to know as well because these these bad people, these people with an agenda are going to come into your fellowship and when they do, you need to have an answer for them. Can we love them? Yes. If their spirit is aligned with ours in the mind of Christ, you can stay. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got sin in their life. Everybody's got these things. But if you want to maintain your sin, and you want to sit in the fellowship while maintaining your sin with the purpose of influencing others into your lust of the flesh, then you cannot stay within the fellowship. That's a hard word, Dale. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's the truth. That's just how it is. All of 1 Corinthians, I want to really go next week into the part about communion there in 1 Corinthians, but, but all of that from chapter 5 all the way to mid-10 there, is all about the misuse of things within the body of Christ. The problem is, um, they were misusing everything. They were misusing their bodies, they were misusing their appetites, they were, they were misusing their, their desire for drunkenness, uh, they were misusing their emotions, they were misusing their spiritual gifts. And all of those caused a rift in the body of Christ as a whole. This guy's misusing this thing. But what it does is it conflicts with this guy over here who's misusing some other part of the body or himself. It's the whole, you know, using an adjustable wrench for a hammer. And eventually it's not good for either. It's not good for a hammer to start with. And then once you beat the end off it, you can't adjust the adjustable wrench part anymore. Use your gift as you've been called amongst the body. The first scripture I wrote down, I forgot to read to you, it says, But as God has distributed to each one, the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordained in all the churches, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Use your gift as you've been called within the body, but make sure you're using it within the mind of Christ with the love for the brethren. This new commandment I give unto thee, love one another. But we're not, listen, and this is the hard part, in 2 John and in Jude, I'm going to read you 2 John, it's really super duper short, but uh, I want to read it to you because it covers the same thing the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in them, in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Well, that's love. I thought we could just love whoever, no matter how that... No one says we've got to walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Where's the beginning? The beginning is back there in Exodus, Genesis. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh... This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not these things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect, sister, greet thee, amen. Now you can check that off in the front of your Bible so you've read Second John for the year, and, and Jude too, if you want to go back and read that real short. But the point is, is that look to yourselves that we don't lose those things which we have brought, but that we receive a full reward. Don't let this guy steer you away from the truth that is the gospel, that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, and that he came to save sinners more corrupt and more deviant and terrible than you, but you also. Do not let someone come in and tell you that God is love, and that he loves all people equally despite their life. True, but false. That's a twisting of the word of God. God does love those that are his. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God not sent his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Okay, that's good. God loved the whole world, sent his Son, yes. But for those that do not accept Christ and do not follow God, it says the wrath of God abideth on him. And that's a hard word. So to, to wrap this up, here's the end. I can love this person. This person comes in, they got whatever hang up, whatever their handicap is. I love that person. I can love that person. I can know that person. I can have a relationship with that person. But am I really loving the body of Christ if I put the love of that person over the body of Christ? The body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, comes first. Do you see that? if by loving this person over here, I cause division in the body of Christ and I've not shown love to either. If you know somebody that's on the edge of the cliff and he's about to fall off and you suggest to them that they step back from the edge and they choose not to do it, it's on them. If if you have a ministry to a child molester, he's a known child molester, I know of one. I, I remember this happened at Central. It was a hard decision for the church. This guy had been in prison for many years. And what he wanted was, he had been caught, he was a pastor of a church, he and his brother both down in Chattanooga Way, tormented countless children. He had over 40 counts against him, but it was a long-going, it was a terrible deal. So he gets to write to people in church. People in church get to know him, at Central. They had the prison ministry, oh man, this guy's a deep guy, devout, blah, 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 man, what a guy, he's the man. Man, he's, well, it's looking like he's going to get out. I'm not sure if he ever got out or not, really, but He's wanting to get out. And he writes a letter to the church and asks if he can become a church member at Central Baptist. And it was a real challenge for the church because you want to care for the guy. The guy says he's a believer, but he's also a notorious child molester. Can we let the guy into the fellowship week by week to have an influence over our children, yes or no? No. Why not? Why? We love him. Yeah, love him. Six feet apart, man, six feet apart. Put a mask on. I mean, I can love you, but I can't have you influence the children of my fellowship. And I know it's an extreme case, but there's there's a place for loving someone, but there's a greater place for the protection of the body. And what Paul's telling them there in Corinthians is like, I'm judging you from a distance. I'm watching it from here, and I'm not happy. How you're treating this guy who's covered with sin in your fellowship, and you're telling him it's okay, you tell that guy, get out of there, Because what he's going to do is he's going to influence you other guys, and you're going to see it next week. In the, in the love feast that was Passover, he's influencing the rest of the church. He can't stay. He's got to go. Throw him outside and let Satan test him for a while, and maybe he'll repent and come back in a humble state, and you can serve with that guy. But unless he repents, he can have no part of the kingdom of God. That's a hard word. And I'm sorry if, if that's too hard for you. But it doesn't make it less true. You believe maybe that to exclude someone from the fellowship just because they have ob- obvious sin in their life is unloved. But it's not. Go to them with the gospel. Give them the gospel. And tell them that they're dead and they're trespassing in sin. If you can't be truthful and honest now, when? When? You're going to wait until Russia's invading us from Canada? oh man, I had some friends. I'm telling you, this is a military story you guys can hear it on, but I'm not tell you anyway. So this guy, he said this morning, he'd never heard the name of Christ, and he asked me one time, I've told this before, but for you that haven't heard it. Uh, I said, Jesus Christ. I was so corrupt in my own spirit, I could barely tell him. I said, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus. He'd never heard it. He was a white guy, and I just assumed he had heard the gospel. Because he's a white guy, he spoke good English. But he was from uh, the Netherlands, a godless place, and he grew up in Saudi Arabia. And so in trying to tell him that, I uh, I uh, realized that he was lost and that I did not have the answers to the very words of life because I was so corrupt in my own way of living. And so I told myself, that I'm going to have an answer the next time I see this guy. Well, it doesn't work out. and We end up in the Persian Gulf and stuff's happening. I'm supposed to go on a raid. And I think, I better go tell that guy because I get smoked over here. So I go to him again and try to present the gospel to him. His name's David, and I'm strong met him one time. Um, and I'm like, listen, man, i got to tell you. I know you've seen me live this completely corrupt life, but God has not called me to live a life like this, and I'm really sorry that I live this in front of you. But I know that if you die without Christ, that you're going to go to hell. And i burst into tears. And he comes over there and starts kind of consoling me. I'm like, get off me. You're the one that's going to die and go to hell. If I die, I go to heaven. But if you die, you go to hell. And you got to know. He's like, hey, it's going to be cool. You're going to be fine. I'm like, shut up. But I had so corrupted my testimony by my life, he couldn't see on me that there was another way that could lead to life. But I was waiting until the last moment. Because I thought there was still, you know, well, I better tell him now, you know, in case one of the other of us gets smoked, at least we'll both be covered, you know. But I should have told him, I should have repented in the Amtrak two years ago, I should have attended church. I should have followed the word. I should have been reading the word. I should have been studying. I should have been begging God to have mercy on me, a sinner. I should have been asking for his working in my spirit, and directing in my life. And instead, I waited until the last second. And um, he's still alive. Like I said, we went busy one time. And he still has chosen, as far as I know, not to follow Christ. But he married a Baptist lady who's like a, a church speaker. So, I mean, if he's not hearing it, shame on her. But to love the goat above the sheep is unforgivable. The shepherd cares for his sheep, and, and and you're the sheep. and I don't care for the sheep. And I pray that on that day that we have to deal with some kind of church discipline thing, if it has to do with sexual immorality or something like that. I pray that maybe from this message or from you, study to show thyself approved unto God. You do it yourself and see if I'm telling you the truth. Be a Berean and study the word and see if what I'm telling you is true. But in that day, I pray that as the body of Christ, you'll come together. And defend yourselves from corruption that would come from without and seek to destroy the fellowship. A large ship could take a lot of little small holes. Eventually it'll sink. But a little ship, a little boat the size of Planko Harvest can't take a whole lot of division and live. And so, in that, we need to be very careful as we take God's word and study it and, and dwell on it and see what is the truth. And if it's the truth, may we apply it to our lives. I want to pray this blessing over our fellowship. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be power and majesty, glory, dominion and honor, both now and forever. Amen. This morning, like I wanted it so crazy to have a message that's somewhat on the negative side. And I pray two things. First thing is, if you're here today, you're on the fence. You think you're a good enough person? You've done enough good to outweigh your bad. I'm telling you, you haven't. Jesus said, if you've committed so much as one apostrophe mark of breaking of the law, which all of us have, we've taken God's name in vain. We've committed adultery with our eyes and our spirit. We've committed murder in our hearts by our thoughts and our actions, our thoughts and our and our desires. We've talked back to our parents. We've blasphemed the name of God. We've been uh, covetous. We've been greedy. We're liars and we're thieves. Every one of us has done all of those things. And for you to say you're not, you're lying to yourself. And the Bible says that liars shall have no part of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason is, is because you're lying to yourself. So every one of us has all these issues. I pray that today, that you don't leave here without confessing this before God and asking Christ to have mercy upon you and to save you. Repent before him now. Don't wait till the combat is at your door. But do it now. One of my biggest regrets in life, I've told you before, was a man asked me, who is God? And I didn't want to tell him because there was a lot of people around and he was killed within 10 minutes of that in a helicopter Mm crash. And I've lived with that my whole life. And it's a terrible wait. One of many. Don't wait until tomorrow... Because you're not promised tomorrow. Accept Christ today. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Ask God to come into your heart, to save you, to deliver you from this wrath that is eternal and lasts forever. The fiery pit where the worm never dies. And it's an outer blackness cast away from the Father. Don't wait. Do it today. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I want to have an opportunity after this to... To present new members to our fellowship, and if you can be a new member after hearing that, man, amen. You're special.
0: <laughs>
1: but I got you. I want to let you know this. That and I and I think Renee's really coming. Cool. I do love you. I love you. I really do. I think about. I know pretty. Much, I may not know your last name Vinny, but I know everybody else's name here in this term. Your last name is like alphabet soup, man. I, I just I'll get it eventually, sir. But, uh, but the rest of you, I, I know your name, and I pray for you, and I think about you, and when when there's, you know, death and conflict and many things, it it hurts me, and I'm the shepherd of you little sheeples out here, and I care about you, whether you realize that or not, whether you think <clears> that or not, and I'm going to do what it takes to protect our fellowship in that, and, um, and I pray that you see that... Uh, that my care for you is legitimate in that, and that I love you, Lord, and, uh, your wives are safe, your kids are safe with me, I got other people keeping their BDI on me all the time to make sure I don't do anything too terrible, but, uh, I really do, I care about you, I worry about you, I worry about your children, I worry about who your children are going to marry, I never would have thought that God would give me a concern for other people, uh, in this big of, uh, environment, and so, uh. Let's pray together. First, I want to pray for those that could possibly be lost here today or have or yet to uh, give it their whole life, not just to Jesus as some guy that's going to save them from the fire pit, but to allow him to be the master and savior of them. That you're going to completely turn your life over to him and allow him to control your every thought and desire. That you're no longer going to put any other thing above him. You're going to look at his word from his perspective and not from your own. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord. I want to I wait a moment. And I ask that your Holy Spirit convict hearts right now. For those that are here that have yet to repent, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Give them another day. Give them some more time. Help them to think clearly, Lord, and not be a double-minded man, but a single-minded man, a person with the, the mind of Christ. Lord, have mercy in that. Lord, I pray for hearts to be open this morning and for hearts to be repentant, Lord. If you're here this morning and you're without Christ, it's as simple, initially, as recognizing that you're a sinner that you have never given yourself fully to Him, that you're going to get by on your good works or your good deeds or your good thoughts. You've never really done that much bad. I'm telling you, as you are measured before the holy and righteous God of creation, you are like filthy rags. And I pray this morning that you would come in a humble manner in your spirit, right through where you sit, and just profess with your mouth, Jesus, saved me. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. That if that's your prayer this morning, that you would be confident in that and would come and tell someone that you've made that decision. Father, we pray now for these that are desiring to be a a member of our church, Lord. That we would not be a radical people unless we're being radically saved and radically changed by by your Spirit upon us. Father, I pray that you would save us, Lord, that you would protect this body, Lord, that your spirit would dwell in this place, that you would not remove your lampstand from us, Lord, but that we would be a people called by your name, and that we would seek to do your will above all, Lord. Thank you for this place and for these, Lord, these that have come today. Lord, is so grateful for them, Lord. I pray that the word that was spoken was the word you had for us today and not my own. I pray that the, the emotional influence of it wouldn't override those spiritual work that you're doing in the hearts of people. As you drawn to yourself, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your care for us, your long suffering, your patience, and your kindness, your justice, your righteousness, and your grace. Father, we give you this time, commend this this church to you. We give it all to you in the name of Allah.